Coming to you from our opulent and luxurious 4x8 refurbished broom closet at the National Headquarters in Indianapolis. With duct tape, studio lights, and a mic that you barely can hear, we hope to entertain and educate you. This is the Tango Alpha Lima Podcast. They call me crazy because I'm facing all my giants. They try to scare me into thinking I can't fight it. They tell me I should never even think of trying. But that's just me. I'm going to live out in defiance. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Tango Alpha Lima podcast. I am your host, Mark Seavey, the Special Projects Council of the American Legion, coming at you live from our Indianapolis headquarters. Joined, as always, by Jeff Daly, who uh, looked like he had a slow start there. I didn't know what was uh, happening there, Jeff. You, you looked like narcoleptic or something. No, we're locked down in California, so I'm just trying to keep my energy level indoor style you know what i'm nice. saying nice and of course ashley gorbulja moldonado who as we learned on the last show lives at the back end of uh union station which is awesome did Yay. not know i honestly thought you were out in alexandria no you know one day we'd like to to get over into virginia it's just been a weird year <laughs> for a lot of people <laughs> plans have changed you know home buying to Maybe we should just hunker down and save on our rent because they can't raise our rent. So, you yeah, know. Not, not a bad idea. And we are joined by a very special guest, Jared Lyon, who was appointed the national president and CEO of Student Veterans of America back in 2016. Uh, since he took office, Jared has overseen SVA's growth to a network of more than 1,500 chapters on campuses in all 50 states and three countries representing over 750,000 student veterans. He's a veteran of the U.S. Navy, where he served as a submariner and a diver, taking part in multiple deployments in support of the global war on terror. I'm not going to read the next paragraph, but he is on literally every council committee you can think of. Uh, and he can go into some of that, but he holds an Associate of Arts degree from Eastern Florida State College, a Bachelor of Science from Florida State, and a Master of Public Administration from the Maxwell School of Citizenship and Public Affairs at Syracuse University, where he's an adjunct professor at the Whitman School of Management. In 2011, SVA named Lyon the National Student Veteran of the Year. He lives with his wife, Chayla, and their son, Campbell, in Alexandria, Virginia. And inexplicably, as I brought this up earlier, he fails to mention in his bio that he's from Carver, Massachusetts, which any longtime listeners of this podcast will remember is the state home to the most athletic, smart, attractive, and best bearded people in the country. So, Jared, welcome. Hmm. Thank you. Thank you very much. And you're right. I, I, I am neglecting to mention my hometown roots in my bio. Uh, I, I apologize profusely to anyone from the great state of Massachusetts, but... Yeah, I was born uh, in Goddard Hospital in Stoughton, Massachusetts, spent the oh, yeah. first two years of my life in Brockton, and then uh, moved out to uh, the cranberry capital of the world, the great Carver, Massachusetts, which if you recently celebrated Thanksgiving, uh, that's right next to Plymouth, uh, yep. where the whole thing kicked off. And um, Carver is named after Governor John Carver, which was the, uh, yep. the, the first governor of the Plymouth Colony. Uh, he didn't live very long after they made landfall, so they named the second town after him. Yeah, and you can't be all that far from Foxborough mm-hmm. down there. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, you know, not, not terribly far. And uh, do love the New England Patriots. You, you uh, mentioned that uh, I live in Alexandria, Virginia, which I do with my wife and, uh, and our son Campbell. Um, truth be told, I, I would have loved to have named him Brady, uh, my wife was like, there is no way we are naming our kid yeah. after uh, the quarterback, the New England Patriots. And I was like, yeah, that's fair. So we went with a ca- uh, Campbell. It's a family name. Uh, my great, great, uh, my great grandfather, who served in the army in World War One, so fought in France. And um, we named my kid after him. It's his first name. Uh, surname was McGeechan. Uh, so Campbell was got to be a Scottish name of some variety. Very Scottish. Yep, exactly. Uh, so my grand, my great grandfather was first in the family born in America from Scotland. Uh, born, um, his parents are from Scotland. Immigrated over, and then. Uh, but as it turns out, Tom Brady uh, went and broke the collective heart of New England fans everywhere. Playing down in Florida, uh, which I spent some time, um, and uh, and then New England brought the great Cam Newton. Uh, to New England. And as it turns out, a short name for Campbell would be Cam. So technically, I did get to name that's, my kid after bad. the quarterback, the that's New England a, Patriots. 
So there you go. I, I also wanted to name my kid Brady, and my wife was like, absolutely not. Under any circumstances, is that going to happen? Uh, but uh, my, my son Ransom is named after my wife's first descendant from Ireland here. So Oh, wow. So there you Very go. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. And is, is the Ireland thing a, uh, a scrunchie on the beard? Is that normally the tradition yeah, this in is, Ireland? This is because uh, I, uh, it's been growing a little wild. When I take it out, it kind of splays out. It's and almost too much beard. It's if, way if too will. much beard, Like especially when I'm trying to have my grilled cheese sandwich right before the show. It'd be like, you know, things in it. I found a corn puff thing in it the other day. So I'm trying to keep it a little neater, uh, you know. It looks good. Thank you. Thank new you. New year, new you. Yes, indeed. So, uh, yeah, uh, Alexander, Virginia, home to the finest Irish pub in the country in Murphy's Irish Pub. It's a good when, one. When I, went to, uh, when I went to Afghanistan, you know, everybody had a picture of their loved ones, and I was a single guy, so... I carried a picture of my bar stool from Murphy's <laughs> Irish Pub, and it was actually, uh, it kind of came out later. It turns out that it's also the favorite seat, specific seat of uh, the former uh, speaker for President Trump. Uh, I can't, oh, the guy that was on Dancing with the Stars. Do you know who I'm talking about? Spicer, oh, uh, Sean Spicer. Spicer. Sean Spicer. Yeah. He's given numerous interviews in the exact same seat. So apparently my seat's been stolen since I moved out here. It's kind of Sean, Sean. Sean's in the Navy. Yeah, he's a member of the Legion Post, I think, 24 there in uh, Alexandria. And I remember a couple people had told me he would go there for Taco Tuesdays. So, you know, who knew? We're bringing people together. All right. So, Ashley. Uh, no, Jeff. Jeff, 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 Jeff. I, I Checking myself. I, I wrote it down here. Jeff, you get the uh, first crack today. Well, I'm going to first of all say that this is going to be a huge episode in Massachusetts because the first, the first seg, we're going to call the segment now. The first segment was you right. two talking about Massachusetts. Yeah, why, why, why our state is better than yours? A seven-part documentary, the Commonwealth. <laughs> yeah, and then I also want to say it's interesting that history that you just said about being from Carver, the cranberry, and then there's the cranberry capital next to the thing and then uh plymouth and it's all thanksgiving was it was that a conspiracy to get cranberries on every table and then to call slicing a turkey carving a turkey it's the only thing that we carve on the table i feel like that's all came together but let's uh let's get back to the the topic at hand, which is you and the student veterans of America. But I also noticed you are an adjunct professor, and I'm going to call you professor from here on out. And I'm going to ask you for a little bit. No, you can't deny me that. I'm going to call you professor. And I'm going to ask about this study that you co-authored, uh, which is awesome. I've never, uh, I've never co-authored a study of more than maybe like a Facebook poll on which hat I should wear. That's as close as I've gotten to that. I am not an adjunct professor. So I'm going to ask you, what did you learn? What's the weirdest, quirkiest thing you've learned about students who are veterans as opposed to, for lack of a better word, traditional students? I mean, uh, I mean, we all know about they're a little more mature. They're like, because they're older. But uh, if you learn anything that's quirky or weird or something that we could all brag about to our traditional student friends, uh, please share. Yeah, uh, Jeff, I think it's a good question. Um, just as, as a quick commentary on uh, the research that you've done regarding Facebook polls for what hat, based on the whole Carver conspiracy, I'd say tinfoil for you yeah. is it's a tinfoil <laughs> hat is the, the one. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. So listen, what we learned from uh, the National Veteran Education Success Tracker, or NVEST for short, um, it, it's it's really kind of a culmination of, of many things. Um, so the the kind of landmark piece of research that SVA did uh, was was uh, just before Invest. It was called the Million Records Project, and ostensibly what we were able to do is conduct a study of the first one million veterans to use their GI Bill uh, pro, uh, from September 11th, 2001 all the way up until the post 9-11 GI Bill. So that was the first million. And then the next round came with uh, not the Montgomery GI Bill, which would have been in the first study, but then the post 9-11 GI Bill. 
And so that study uh, was of 854,000 uh, student veterans to use the GI Bill from September, uh, from uh, basically the kickoff of the post 9-11 GI Bill until 2017. So that what ostensibly we were able to do is study the first 1.854 million veterans to use the GI Bill. I'm specific in my distinction that they're veterans because with the post 9-11 GI Bill, there's transferability. So uh, military families can actually use the GI Bill now too, which is a pretty great feature uh, of the benefit. Um, we kept our research specifically to veterans. And, and there's two key reasons why we did it. The first one is that essentially, you're the US taxpayer. It would be reasonable for you to ask the question, hey, we've probably spent you know, a lot of money on this GI Bill. Are we getting our money's worth? I think that's fine for anyone to ask a question of. But the second uh, reason that we had to do the study is that most people were fearful to actually answer that question because folks, whether they're civilians who have never served, um, gosh, I'll even say veterans, we kind of think this about ourselves. We kind of think that we're all those individuals that, uh, you know, barely graduated high school and just, you know, wound up in the military and, you know, gee golly, if I just, uh, you know, barely got out of the military. And we all kind of always downplay a little bit of everything that we do. And civilians kind of think that, uh, unfortunately, only those that, uh, that go into the military are the ones that couldn't get into college. And unfortunately, sometimes those in higher education literally look at the population and say, gee golly, thanks for your service, but if you were smart enough to get into college, have, how'd you ever wind up in the Army or the Navy or the Marine Corps or the Air Force, Coast Guard, etc.? And so there's this perception issue. But then the second notion is that if you think about the GI Bill, it's been going on for 75 years. If it's been going on for 75 years, it's kind of assumed that it'll just be there forever. But it hasn't. There's been multiple iterations of the GI Bill. So it started, you know, 75 plus years ago in 1944 with the Servicemen's Readjustment Act of 1944. So that was World War II. Well, well, war happened, we made a benefit, and part of that benefit was veterans could go to college. Well, then Korea happened. Well, the Korean generation wasn't eligible for the World War II generation, so new, new benefit. Well, their war was shorter, so it was easier to do that, but we waited to the end of the war. Well, then Vietnam. Well, holy smokes, what are we gonna do about that? That war was so long. Well, Congress was sort of waiting for the war to end before we had that. And so then you kind of move into the, the, the whole notion of we're going to get rid of the draft. And the Vietnam era of generation of veterans really looked at things to make sure that, like, you know, no, no generation of veterans afterward would have to have this problem. And so we start looking at the Montgomery GI Bill, which was meant as a peacetime benefit. Well, then fast forward to the events of September 11th and our generation, um, who has served in the longest period of sustained combat in our nation's history, which, fun fact, has been fought by mostly millennials. So if anyone gives millennials a bad rap, um, they're pretty badass, in my opinion. And then we start looking at it as like, could we make a wartime benefit that could be more long-lasting? That if you serve your country, you have the opportunity for an education. So the biggest thing that we learned in sort of doing this is that veterans are the most successful students in post-secondary education by any measure. You pick the metric and I can explain to you how veterans outperform their civilian counterparts. They're more likely to go to college than their civilian counterparts. When they do, they're more likely to uh, attend not-for-profit uh, public or private institutions of higher learning. Uh, they use the GI Bill to earn more bachelor's and master's degrees than they do associates. Uh, so fun fact, more enlisted people uh, have master's level of education than officers. It's just fun with numbers, right? There's way more enlisted people than there are officers. And then when you start looking at it, they major uh, in degrees that are far more academically rigorous uh, than their civilian counterparts. So the top three majors that veterans graduate in is business, science, technology, engineering, and math, and health-related fields. They maintain better GPAs. The nationwide GPA in America is about a 3.0. I'll be generous. I'm rounding up. Uh, for traditional students, uh, for veterans, it's a 3.35. Um, and so the only population that has a higher GPA than veterans in all of higher education is international students at a 3.4, which is negligible difference. And so we have better graduation rates and we have better employability options once we do graduate. On average, a veteran with a bachelor's degree uh, earns over their lifetime per year $17,000 more than our civilian counterparts. And with a master's, it's 29,000. And so any way that you slice it, veterans are the most successful students in post-secondary education. And Jeff, that shouldn't have been the most shocking or weird thing that we learned, but prior to that research uh, coming to light in 2017, um, the assumption was that veterans were like, yeah, they earned the ability to go to college because they served their country, but you know, they're probably all just using the GI Bill to you know, get a trade or you know, something else. And um, 
probably not going to go to college, and even if they do, they might not be all that successful. But what we learned is that they're the most successful students in post-secondary education. Well, that's actually some of what you said is super interesting to me. I I know a college professor who uh, proclaims like this uh, this this uh, affection for veterans and all of that, and and but. I was at a dinner party, and she said, it's a shame that this country just takes advantage of people who can't get into college and sends them off to war to die. She said these words out loud. And I'm like, you go to every Ivy League school, you'll find some of the oldest ROTCs there. This is not about about financial class. It's not about uh, anything like that. I will say that I'm glad that I wasn't part of your study because I would have thrown a wrench in the system. I never underplay a single thing that I do. I will I will tell you how awesome I am as often as you want to hear it. And I yeah. think that veterans outperforming, you're missing important parts of the college experience. We win at beer pong all the time. Like every single Not true. <laughs> Not, Not true. true. These college <laughs> kids are professionals, Jeff. We we get shown up by them in ways we think we know how to drink. Uh, they they will outdo us. They really will. They're much younger. <laughs> they've got they've got so much more energy. Healthier livers, you know. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I would win. I just wouldn't get out of bed for the next week. Like that's I, that, that's that's probably accurate. Yeah, it's, it, without an IV, I can't recover. I don't really. Well, miss speaking that of an IV. College. I just don't miss that. Like I, I don't know. I was a super nerd. Like I was, I was either volunteering, running American Legion Post, working with SBA, double majoring, and like working three jobs. Like I don't, I don't know. I I feel like I don't know. I mean, Jared, you've spoken in front of you know crowds and all the student veteran conferences, and you've spoken to so many student veterans over the years. Like. What are some of the continuous perce- or perceived or actual challenges that you are finding with student veterans? Like, what are the, what are like the big three that you know I, you think American Legion folks should know about? Everyone should know about. Ashley, I I, I love this question. So, um, part of it is is sort of understanding who uh, the contemporary student veteran is. Like, like who the heck are they, right? And so one thing that we've got to understand is, is the sheer volume of them that go to college. So as a country, give or take, on average, we'll make about 200,000 veterans as a nation each and every year. 115,000 of them will be in a college classroom within seven months of separating from active duty. It is the single most common thing that veterans do when they get out of the military is go to college. So that's, that's sort of the first one. The, the second thing is when you sort of look at it, you go... All right, well, well, well who are they? Well, well on average, uh, the nationwide average age of a student veteran is 28 years old, right? So that's the average age. But for the most part, they're going to be between the ages of 24 and about 35. That, that's going to give you the lion's share of the population. 52% of them are actually married when they go back to school or in a committed relationship uh, and, uh, and have children. And then about 20% of those student veterans with children identify as a single parent. And then the next thing to note is that of this population, uh, we overrepresent in a couple of categories, uh, specifically women veterans, our sisters in arms. So if you look at all veterans alive, uh, you're going to look at women making up about 11% of that population, give or take. Uh, the active duty force is about 18, 19% and growing. It's the quickest growing demographic in our active duty military. And of course, we get our population from the active duty, right? Right. If you look at women as student veterans, uh, they make up 27% of all uh, veterans in higher education. So they way overrepresent. And something that we're really proud of at Student Veterans of America is that 49% of our chapter leadership, so you know the, the, the legion equivalent of the posts, commanders, we call them chapter presidents, but 49% of them are, are women veterans, our sisters in arms. So when you start looking at this, there's one other thing to note, uh, that about 50% of veterans that are using the GI Bill right now are working full-time and another 25% are working part-time. And so when you start looking at it from that vantage point, you're like, okay, well, what are the, what are the biggest challenges for veterans in higher education? Now, I don't wanna sort of like separate the veteran population too much, but you have to delineate to some extent because veterans exist in the United States between the ages of 17 and what's the oldest living veteran right now, like 112, right? So to say all veterans, you're talking about a really big range of human beings. 
Right, yeah, it's Mark. It's Mark. Well, if, when you release the, the scrunchie, it, it, you look a little bit more yeah. your age. Um, but but when, you, when you look at it overall, you're like, all right, that's a huge swath, right? But if we say that, that, you know, I just told you who the contemporary student veteran is, what are the biggest challenges? It might shock you to learn that they uh, have some similarities uh, to the biggest challenges facing veterans. But in other, in other ways, really what you're going to see more similarities as is who we're generationally similar to. So people of that age who find themselves pursuing a post-secondary education. So associates through a PhD. And really who you're going to see more similarities to is adult learners, grown-ups who go back to school, right? And so one of the number one issues facing veterans in post-secondary education that just simply does not get enough conversation is access to childcare. And so it's not something that people have on their radar. But you got to think about being a working professional who's on average taking 15 credit hours and, to your point, working and uh, probably volunteering and taking care of their family obligations. And when I say childcare, I'm not talking about what I call nine to five childcare. Like veterans are super responsible. They've got that stuff squared away. What I'm talking about is the before nine and the after five. So nights and weekends when, you know, I happen to be a 34 year old college junior and my group project leader is 21 and set the group meeting at, you know, 9 p.m. on a Thursday. Well, my kids are in bed. How do I run back to campus if I'm a single parent? Or, you know, even if I'm in a, a, a committed relationship, we've we got so many other things to arrange. So it's those off hours, nights and weekends, childcare access. Um, you know, one of the other things that winds up being uh, super difficult to sort of understand is when we say financing education. And so veterans are graduating despite full eligibility of the GI Bill uh, with nearly $28,000 in student loan debt. Right now, Ashley, you're phenomenal at the no debt related stuff. Uh, but the national average of student debt uh, for for uh, regular college kids who didn't serve in the military, it, it's not much higher than that. And so, why is this? Right, we have the GI Bill, but why is it? Well, there's a couple of key things that become a, a major challenge on this. First and foremost, when we're talking about this population, nearly two thirds of us are just like me. They're first generation college students first person in their family to ever go to college. Well, how do Americans make decisions about college, regardless if they serve in the military? Number one most influential thing about where you're gonna go to college is mom and dad. Number two is geography. Number three is your high school guidance counselor. And number four is your affinity structure, so friends uh, that, that are close to you. Well, if we start thinking that my mom and dad didn't go to college, I'm not turning there for advice. Uh, if I look at geography, the average American, like over 70% of Americans, don't attend a college or university that's over a two-hour drive from where they graduated high school. Uh, when you leave for the military, you go all over the world and then, you know, wind up where you wind up. High school guidance counselors might be a little weird 10 years after high school to show back up and say, yo, uh, remember me? Um, and then friends, right? Like we tend, we tend to have like attract like. And so if we have a lot of friends that didn't go to college, basically what I'm saying is we do college OJT. And the assumption that higher education makes is that by the time veterans show up on campus, we already know what we wanna be when we grow up. We already know what we wanna major in. And on average, veterans change their major 2.1 times. Civilians who never served only change their major 1.7 times. And the difficulty, especially if you look at 120 credit hours for an undergraduate degree, is that about 20, 24 of those credits are meant as uh, academic exploration, right? Well, veterans, get credit for their military experience, but most schools don't recognize that military experience, so it gets jammed into gen ed credits. And then to use your GI Bill, ostensibly you've got to declare your major in your first semester to make sure that your GI Bill can be certified. And so we take a group of first-generation college students who have earned the opportunity for education, who want credit for their military service, and to get it, they lose the opportunity to explore. And they start in majors, history, political science and criminal justice. I'm not dogging those majors, I'm a social science guy, right? But they graduate in business, STEM, and health-related fields. Because veterans, we're not going back to college to find ourselves, Ashley. We're going back to college to create ourselves, to create a future for our families and to contribute to society. So we're going back to college to get a job, a career, right? And so we're gonna major in something that doesn't have us uh, you know, sort of looking for work, we're going to major in something that's going to get us that job when we graduate. And veteran unemployment rates for those with bachelor's degrees or higher are a full percentage point lower than their civilian counterparts for that reason. And so when I say financing your education, 
we wind up having to take out student loans in our first semester because the GI Bill is delayed uh, when we first start and we have to declare our major first. And so if we switch majors, it adds one academic year to graduation. So we're in college longer than our GI Bill exists. And right. so we have to take out loans at the beginning of our education because our GI Bill doesn't come in on time. And then we've used our GI Bill exploring higher ed. We've made a good decision. We're gonna graduate with a great degree, but I'm gonna graduate with, uh, without a year of my GI Bill on average. So and I, so I we, a, we've created a weird system. Right, and I have a quick question. So in regards to the finance, so you know, you've got a delayed GI Bill. Obviously some schools have some provisions in place that they know the VA is gonna pay, so they'll have enrollment structures to accommodate. But what are your experiences with you know, financial aid? Obviously, you know, as someone who's National Guard, I remember very vividly when you know, I, I didn't have post 9-11 GI Bill. And as a guardsman, I remember going to, you know, my bursar or my admin office and my financial aid and I signed everything and I had like selected that I was a veteran. And I know as a National Guard and Reservist folks, you know, we typically don't fit the federal definition of veteran. So it actually gets kicked back. So we fall out of the primary categories that would, um, uh, you know, separate us from having to go get mom and dad's signature. And I know that that sometimes is the case. And obviously with an average age of you know, 28 or, you know, from 24 to, to 30s, right, there's going to be some overlap of folks who, as you stated, are, are going to take on unnecessary debt because they have to, one, select the major, and two, they may not have access to financial aid. Is that something that you've come across frequently yeah, or honor- experienced? Frequently, uh, all the time, 100%, and even beyond what you've described, right? Um, Even if the school has the infrastructure in place to say, we know we'll get our tuition, no big deal, Uh, especially veterans who are anticipating the post-9-11 GI Bill, which provides basic allowance for housing. Uh, Basic allowance for housing that you thought you were going to get to take care of, you know, your mortgage, your rent, uh, car payment, those life essentials to be able to go Mm -hmm. to school. Um, is going to be delayed a few months when you first start. And so, like, you know, your landlord or your bank doesn't really care that your GI Bill's late you, and your BAH hasn't come in. But then even more than that, too, it's the FAFSA, right? Like the federal application for, for student aid is something that a lot of veterans don't understand, first and foremost, as something that is necessary that they complete. Um, but secondly, if they do complete it, usually the first time that they complete it, they get a response back that they're not eligible for any aid, right? Because basically FAFSA pings Uncle Sam at the IRS and spits out, you know, your last uh, 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 LES statement, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Leave and earnings statements from when you were an active duty. I don't know what they call them now, but, you know, so basically your uh, tax return was from when you were earning E4, E5 pay, and now you've gotten out and you've taken a job that supports you to be able to, you know, keep food on the table for the family, but go to school. So you're not earning as much as you were, but you're basically being evaluated on the previous year's tax return. And so most veterans will never reapply the next year to the FASFA thinking, well, I did that and I got told I wasn't eligible for anything. But if they applied for it in their second year of being in school, they'd actually be eligible for a lot more aid to make sure that they mitigated some of those reasons to take out student debt. And then beyond all that, I think you bring up a really salient point that our generation has some opportunity to sort of address this, but we've got to define better the federal definition of a veteran, right? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. we're using the guard and reserves in ways that are, are just really unprecedented in American history prior to the last 20 years. And so wh- why, sh- why should we not, for the purposes of benefits, make sure that we just change that definition? Because there's 4,200 institutions of higher learning in America, right? Mm-hmm. They're looking for one definition, you know, not, not something that they have to go and like understand the nuance. And so they wind up setting policy that they don't mean to be exclusionary to veterans, but because it is so nuanced and difficult to understand, in some cases has that effect. Right. And I have seen, you know, with National Guard and Reserve, and obviously those uh, reserves a little bit different for specifically Army in, in, in this instance that we discuss, you know, at least with the Army National Guard, each state individually has a different array of benefits. So like growing up in Ohio and joining the Ohio Guard, I was honored to have a 100 percent scholarship similar to like a GI Bill makeup. Obviously, sure. I didn't get like housing allowance and I still qualified for 1606, which is a uh, Montgomery Reserve or Select Reserve, uh, which paid me based on my credit hours. So if I was full time, part time, quarter time, or whatever the case was, so there was some extra income that came with that. But 
there was also a whole bucket of other benefits and i was hoping maybe you could elaborate and i do apologize i know mark and jeff are just like staring they're like and ashley we didn't nerd out but this is like my bread and butter and i i love this stuff and i think it's so important for our our legion members to understand the complexities of being a student veteran and that you know as we're you know looking f- to have folks join our posts and upcoming in the new legion you know leadership that we know who we're speaking to and, and what's available to us, right? And I guess my, my follow-up to that is, you know, as I've mentioned, you know, National Guard, you know, you're going to have different benefits at each state. And what other, like, benefits resources, like, would you recommend um, in, in your time, you know, as president, you've spoken to a lot of folks, what kind of benefits and uh, resources would you, you know, put out there so that we can, you know, figure out some of these calamities and, and stop folks from, you know, being thinking that they have to like select all the loans and or if, you know, they're na- your National Guard and you're told you're not a veteran. Like, what, how would you address that? Yeah. I, so, well, well, first off, the, the Legion is actually a pretty damn good resource uh, for a lot of this stuff, too. And I think that uh, perhaps I mean, you know, I, I say this, too, as a, as a proud Legion member myself. But, you know, I, I think it's high time that when we think about benefits, we go beyond disability and compensation, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, e- even beyond just the GI Bill, which is, uh, you know, in and, in and of itself a complex benefit. But there's things like the VA home loan and re-education stuff that goes beyond the GI Bill. And sort of making sure that we have our service officers with the right training from the national level uh, to ensure that we can meet all veterans where they are, whether that be, you know, a middle-aged veteran and an older veteran towards end-of-life planning or, or, you know, hey, a recently separated 22-year-old or currently serving guardsmen or women who's 19, right? Like they're all part of our family and, and sort of understanding how we can meet them where they're at would be helpful. The second thing that I'd say is honestly, Ashley, and I, I don't I don't mean to uh, to kind of pimp you out too hard, but, but you're one of the most well-versed human beings that I've ever come across with regard to benefits outside the traditional route of the GI Bill, and and I'm not I'm not blowing smoke where it doesn't belong. Oh. You've dedicated hey boys, you hear your that? life to oh. figuring that out. There is no <laughs> living with her after this episode. And in earnest, no, I I, I I've, I've been around the block, man. I, I would I would tell you differently if I felt it, but you know, there's there's unfortunately, um, you know, you're you're only one person, so it's it's tough to go around. But then the the last thing that I would say is that the schools themselves are actually really wonderful resources. And I think having an approach with schools that feels maybe like they've got policies in place um, that are, I mean, I guess for lack of a better term, non, non-inclusive of, of the, the military veteran community, is it's just having a conversation with them because often it's never out of malice. It, it, it's usually out of ignorance. It's like, oh yeah, we have a vet center. It does all things veterans. And you're like, well, it's sort of nuanced. And so we as veterans can have that opportunity to be those self-advocates. And, and part of being a self-advocate is educating others, right? And so mm-hmm. like when we come across a roadblock, roll up our sleeves and you know make sure that we're leaving things better than we found them by having those conversations and doing our best to educate. I, you know, of course, if, if we're talking about pimping folks out, you can always reach out to Student Veterans of America as well. I mean, we've got a full government affairs team. Um, we're headquartered in Washington, D.C. for a reason. Uh, and anytime student veterans uh, across the country are dealing with issues, they, they can always reach out to us as well. And we're happy to try to address them directly. Awesome. All right, I'll turn it over to my co-hosts who are like, yeah. <laughs> like, what's happening? I, I just want to start by saying my, show? my bread and butter is actually bread and butter. But going from there. <laughs> you look uh, more like a toast and beans kind of guy. And, and you and you have now, Ashley has <laughs> taken up the next seven questions time. So we're good to go here. Uh, and not to, uh, in your words, pimp out like your former employer, uh, but I assume you still work with them. But the... Uh, Institute for Veterans and Military Families. Um, when you were throwing all the stats at us, all I could think about was probably the best piece of literature I've ever read is the perspectives that they put out. Sure, and I of know that. And uh, Rosalinda Mori uh, presented two years ago at the SVA conference. It was absolutely the best hour and a half I spent there. Uh, she was amazing. Um, but uh, so. Anybody listening, if you want to see more of the stats and breakdowns of how, you know, service members do after school, during school, etc., definitely go to that perspectives, which gives some phenomenal numbers. Um, but I wanted, you know, first of all, in the time, 
obviously SVA has had a conference every year, and the conference goes on this year, but it will be online. But what are some of the challenges you're seeing for the chapters you've had during a, a time of corona? I mean, it's it's obviously a little more difficult, and in terms of socially distancing, you know, s- schools are seeing some pretty rapid transition where, you, you know, you might go to class with 40 people, and now all of a sudden you best case scenario probably are on zoom or if you are in person but what kind of changes are you seeing how is the how has the corona world kind of changed the way sva is operated yeah a, a great deal you mentioned rosie and i just got to give a quick plug on rosie one of the smartest humans i've ever met yeah. in my life I, I she's a former uh you know work colleague we used to work together at ivmf at syracuse university um but we you know, she's a dear friend and a professional colleague as well. Um, but IVMF, if anyone has interest, ivmf.syracuse.edu, go to their research section. And then I'll just also add, if you go to studentveterans.org to our research section, between those two places, you can geek out hard on how well veterans are doing, um, as well as some of the most salient issues impacting the community. Speaking of which, corona, right? In this era of corona, what we found um, is, is so interesting. So starting in March, um, I, I'm actually uh, uh, drinking a coffee cup today from Washington State University Tri-Cities. Uh, so uh, I think it was around the week of March 5th, I, I was in Washington State um, for uh, the Washington State University system had come together to put together uh, their next five-year strategy uh, for being veteran inclusive uh, amongst their whole university system. And that was just at sort of the onset of, is this thing going to be a thing? By March 12th, our headquarters staff in Washington, D.C. Uh, started working from home, and we've been doing so indefinitely since. And really, if you kind of followed the country, higher ed became a barometer for both how the economy was going to respond uh, in, a, in the era of COVID, but also how the economy was going to recover. Schools, institutions of higher learning, starting at the West Coast and moving East, became the first somethings to start closing. So before businesses started to close, before governments and athletic facilities, et cetera, schools did. Interestingly, when things started to open back up again, schools were first. So they were first to close and first to open. And so what we started to look at from a policy perspective is that you know institutions of higher learning were a barometer for how the economy was going to respond. So that was the first thing. And student veterans were right in the middle of that. You know, Our chapter leaders are on over 1,500 campuses all across the United States. And we started to hear from them directly uh, in our normal channels, but we also instituted some opinion research in which we were able to start flash polling the population on a weekly basis starting uh, March 12th and going all the way through. So we could understand the most salient issues of the population. And and really they were kind of surrounding two things. Um, It was the sense of isolation, which I think is obvious, and it was the overwhelming demand for services, which was rather unexpected. Isolation, I think, you know, during this era of COVID, we've all talked about it's important to be focused on it, but I I think I'd be beating a dead horse likely uh, for anyone that would be listening. So I'll I'll focus on the second. Um, The second is that notion of uh, overwhelming response for services at the campus and national level. And what this was coming from is is this weird thing that we noticed throughout COVID uh, of the impact of inclusivity. And so if you think about organizations like the American Legion and Student Veterans of America, we focus a lot on getting together, on comradeship, a community. These are, these are things that are important to us, but it always means like leaving whatever you're doing and coming to the post or coming to the national convention or coming to whatever it is, uh, whether on campus or otherwise. Well, there's an awful lot of working professionals, specifically who are young veterans, that don't necessarily have the time to be able to come to something. They want to. It's just impractical for them to be able to swing it, right? And so in COVID, when everything went virtual, our chapters started to see a bigger response of those veterans on campus that they they hadn't seen at any of their in-person stuff because they could just never make it to campus. So you're talking about 30, 40, 50% increase in attending things online because of the equity that it brought to the experience, that if I couldn't, you know, I didn't have to worry about a sitter or coming back and finding parking or you know, getting time off from work, I could now show up. And so as we started to know that, we started to widen the tent on who is this population. Then we had the, uh, the events of the death of George Floyd. And if you start thinking about what college and university campuses are, you know, we started having conversations about racial injustice in a way that 
I'll tell you, uh, we weren't prepared for it. Not because we, uh, you know, never thought to try to, to, to figure out a way to do that, but we just never expected that response from veterans on campus about trying to find a way uh, to seek equity in everything that they do. So we started to work with uh, college campuses all have offices of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and making sure that our chapters were tied into those conversations to make sure that they could be part of the solutions, whatever those might look like. And then we started to look at the population to sort of understand them better. And we started to understand that our black sisters and brothers in arms that are on college campuses make up 17% of all student veterans. They only make up 15% of all students in higher education and only about 13.4% of all Americans. So we started to understand that, wow, we're getting really good at, at making that tent bigger. And then we started to move into the summer where student veterans who had graduated in the spring were worried about that first job after college and those job offers being rescinded. So we started to respond with better job options. Uh, we launched a, a career center on our website to aggregate those abilities, as well as a national jobs portal that lists over 2.5 million available jobs and internships to make sure that veterans who, even if they were doing internships in the summer, those were getting canceled. And then we move all the way to the fall, which was schools opening before the country did. Mm -hmm. And we all saw the impacts of that as that started to hit in late August and early September. And then moving things back online, which will probably, at least in post-secondary education, remain that way through the spring. So, you know, we're looking at the situation into the summer of next year already. But what we've seen more than anything, and this is what inspires me about veterans, we've seen resilience. We've seen, I mean, improvise, adapt, and overcome, right? We, we all almost use it as like a throwaway joke in our community, uh, but we've seen this in, in, in truckloads with regard to the community's ability um, to be a member of their campus community, to try to drive this idea that veterans belong in higher education, and we want to create inclusive environments and in where they can show up as their whole selves. Um, and uh, the pandemic has shed a light on this. And I'll tell you guys, I don't think we're going back, right? Like we will return to in-person events, but those in-person events have to include a virtual option while the in-person event is happening to make sure that we can really make sure everyone can show up to all the things that we do. Wow. All right, well, we will take a quick uh, commercial break and we will be right back with Jared in a minute. Dingley, dingley. So you were discharged with a 20% disability rating, but now you can't hear so well and need help. Contact an American Legion service officer. Service officers are free of charge and they help all veterans. Find one near you with our online tool at legion.org forward slash service officers. And we are back with Massachusetts and SVA president, Jared Lyon. Uh, and... I don't know. Do we do? You want to just go with Ashley first here, Jeff, and see how much time we have left after her? Or? <laughs> well, we're gonna have to if we we're gonna have to do two shows. Yeah, I was just, like, I was yeah, just you thinking. Go. You go. No, it's interesting because I was just thinking of the last time I met Jared. He told a tin foil hat joke about me, and here we are again today. Here we are today. I need a picture of Jeff with the with the tinfoil hat yes. holding the little cat or something, you know, just <laughs> wrapped in his whoopee. Promo. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> wrapped in his whoopee. Yeah, accepted. Uh, Jared, you I, you've covered so much ground today. I, I I can hardly think of a question that won't be somewhat redundant. But I'm gonna we're gonna tw I'm gonna tweak it a little bit and see if you can nuance it. Sure. Uh, the answer. Um, you. You're act. You're in. You're running the SBA. You're active in the American Legion. I didn't hear the post that you're a member of. By the way, do you know that? I am country? not affiliated with a post. Oh, okay. You're you're, you're a member of the national organization. I guess so. so. Okay. I know a couple. If you want some suggestions, I would anyway, love a suggestion. So, <laughs> <laughs> so the my question is about that. The relationship, it's, it's, I'm going to mix up a couple of things. The relationship between SBA and the American Legion as organizations, the relationship between SBA and American Legion on campuses, and are, is, do you see a lot of movement from SBA to American Legion once they graduate? Because I assume, I assume they can't be, they can't be in the SBA if they're not students. So 
that's my little trifecta question. If you if you forget any of them, I'm still here. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. I, I do appreciate that you're here, and I feel that. I, I do. So listen, I, I, I do not want to mince words when I say this. Without the American Legion, there would be no Student Veterans of America. Uh, and, and I'd like to explain why. It goes all the way back to 1944. There's a gentleman by the name of Harry W. Comary that is not only a former national commander of the BFW, or the American Legion, uh, but he's, he's literally a World War I veteran, and he's the reason that education exists in the GI Bill. So said more broadly, there wouldn't be student veterans without the American Legion, right? All the way back to the beginning, we have the American Legion to thank when others were not necessarily super supportive of the idea that we would leverage the GI Bill after World War II uh, to educate and train uh, a generation returning home um, from some of the toughest fighting in Europe and the Pacific, that was the American Legion. For Student Veterans of America, if you fast forward to 2008, uh, when our organization was officially incorporated, um, <laughs> this, is, this is the American Legion, right? Uh, the American Legion shows up for veterans wherever they are. Uh, there's a guy, um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just referencing uh, uh, my brain catalog, uh, Post 46 in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Um, the gentleman's name is uh, Mike Milley, who is an attorney uh, and was the post um, adjutant, uh, if I remember, was one of our first advisors and uh, literally helped us file the incorporation paperwork uh, for Student Veterans of America. So literally, again, if it wasn't for a legionnaire dedicating some volunteer time, because definitely back then we couldn't have afforded an attorney. We, we can't really afford an attorney now either. But, um, you know, that was that was a legionnaire. And it was because some of our founders were members of that post 46 while they were student veterans at the University of Michigan. And so because they were active in that post and trying to figure out the incorporation uh, paperwork, you know, a legionnaire who overhears them as it became an advisor to the organization and helped us figure it out. And that post became some of the, the first places that we ever met as an organization. And it, and it is still the case across the country. And then even uh, a little bit uh, more than that, there's a former national adjutant. Um, I always screw up his last name and I don't, I don't mean Spinoble. to do that, but Thank you, Bob. Bob, first name, Spinogel, yeah. thank you. Um, Bob literally carved out office space uh, for SVA uh, back when we were this little fledgling organization trying to figure it out um, at, the, uh, at the DC headquarters over on 1600 K Street. Uh, quite literally made space for us. Yeah, uh, so Derek, Derek Blumke had an office over there. There's right? a name. There's a name. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Derek Blumke uh, now is... Um, uh, the state adjutant uh, for the VFW of Michigan is yep. uh, is is his like full time job now. Um, I saw him at, was, last time I saw him was at the SVA conference. So he's just, oh heck yeah, he's <laughs> he's been every year. Yeah, he's literally been every year, and I often see him at either the Legion uh, convention or the VFW convention every yep. year. Um, yep. And I I love going to both events. Uh, bummer that they were all sort of I mean summer right, so like yep. everything has been mm -hmm. you know postponed. Um, but Bob carved out that space for us, and quite literally, we operated out of the American Legion's D.C. office um, until we really outgrew the space. And then we moved across the street to 1625 K Street, literally just across the street, had a little office there until we've uh, moved over to our uh, current space now at uh, 1025 uh, 14th Street. Uh, so we're, we're basically like two blocks down the road from the, the Legion's offices. All that notwithstanding, if we think about... Um, you know, student veterans' relationship to the American Legion while they're while they're students. Well, first and foremost, uh, I, I look back at Ashley again, right? Former post commander of an American Legion post on a college campus. You know, there's not a ton of those, but they exist, and the ones that are out there um, are finding ways to thrive in a new and adaptable way to think through what being a member of the American Legion means and how we can sort of do better outreach uh, to veterans and meet them where they are. I already mentioned it earlier in the podcast, but the vast majority of, quote, new vets that we always want to, like, join the American Legion, they're getting right out of the military, and they're getting their lives started by starting school. And so if we wonder where they are, they're probably on the college and university campuses, the community colleges, the small liberal arts colleges, the big state schools, the, the private schools that are probably right down the street from your post, right? And so when we start looking about how it works best is right back to post 46 in Ann Arbor, Michigan, right? That idea that our posts can be spaces uh, for veterans, right? Our sisters and brothers in arms that can uh, work, function, and interact while they're students. 
you mentioned it earlier, Jeff. Yeah, being being part of Student Veterans of America is while you're a student. Now, we are not in the business of making what we call lifetime members, right? We make college graduates. And so this whole idea is that like, yeah, you can be an SVA alum for the rest of your life, but you can't be an SVA member for the rest of your life because that's like a sort of a Tommy boy of sorts, right? That's never graduate, right? <laughs> We're not an ESPN commercial over here, never graduate. No it's this idea that if you start getting involved with student veterans while they're in school, you can take advantage of a unique way to engage with student veterans, but really said another way, recently transitioned veterans at the post level, because veterans while they're in school are like Ashley. They're high achievers, they're taking a lot of credit hours, and usually even if they're working or taking care of family obligations, they're trying to look for a way to get involved in that local community. They're establishing ties to the community. And the majority of veterans that finish their bachelor's degree actually stay in that community when they graduate. You always hear about the brain drain in college towns. Kids come from out of town to go to that school and then they graduate and they leave. Veterans come to that school and often because of family obligations, et cetera, they set down roots for the four, five, six years that they're an undergrad. They wanna stay in the community often. And so so if they get tied in with a post, our posts are the pillars of their communities, right? And so that's a great way to start networking with people who know all the ins and outs of that that town, that city, that county, um, and everything's local. So the post becomes the hub to be connected to everything else. And then, I mean, there's the awesome things like Legion Baseball and starting to look at like Boys and Girls State and those types of things. Those are great volunteer opportunities um, for motivated, quote, veterans who are a little bit younger looking for ways to get involved and get active. And then the last thing that I'd say too is like you'd be surprised how many awesome post commanders there are out in the country who probably sit on boards of trustees of the colleges and universities in their areas who are engaged and know the university president and provost and whatnot right back to that idea that legionnaires are pillars of their community they're veterans that are involved and they tend to be involved with the uh, the campus leadership and so it provides a great networking opportunity to make sure that veterans of all eras get to know one another and that we kind of continue to support that sister and brotherhood nice before before I release you to your docu series with Ashley, um, <laughs> I would uh, I would like to commend Legionnaires who are from Michigan because uh, there was a lot of there was a lot of Ann Arbor. I heard a lot of Ann Arbor and a lot of I just want to say hashtag Go Blue. I just have to get that out there. <laughs> and uh, I have no follow up question because you as as I'm well, getting Mark used to might have hearing a you. Question. Because Tom Brady is... I, 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 was, uh, I was about to mention, me. like... Oh, my gosh. He, he we went go to down this rabbit hole? Oh, yeah. my God. Oh, yeah. That's I'm, the, I'm the Ohio gal here who always takes slack from Jeff all the time. And then, Jared, now you're, like, tag-teaming with Mark about... Slack? I'm just like, I can't. I can't we right now. Show some Ohio some love. It's been 50 minutes of Jared saying how awesome you are. Look at look at the woe is exactly. me Ashley's got going on. Dude, you are the Cleveland of this conversation right now. All right. You're up. Did you just say Ashley's the Cleveland of this? this, That's that's brilliant. I'm representing. Yay. Um, So, Jared, now, again, we appreciate you so very much. I mean, thank you for sharing that intertwined history of the American Legion and the SVA. I just think it's so important because I don't think necessarily all of our Legion members know this. And I'm really excited for them to, to hear this in this episode and um, make this a call to action for them to get involved with some of these universities and private colleges, all of the above. So, oh my goodness. So let's, docu-series, I love it. Sorry. She only has one question for you in 27 parts. All right, let's start with A. So A... So moving forward, right, so we're not having the national convention and going to be able to see everyone. I just wanted to give this opportunity for you to talk a little bit more about Student Veteran uh, Conference, how long it's been going on, the average attendance, because we know that that's been increasing over the years, and what the virtual conference, if you can give us any teasers as to what we have to look forward to. Yeah, I appreciate that. So um, our, our 13th annual SVA National Conference, uh, we call it NatCon for short, uh, will be February 19th and 20th. Um, you know, I, I, I was making a joke earlier. You know, I'm lucky that the National Conference, we actually had a 2020 National Conference at SVA. We normally host it the first weekend in January every year. There's a, there's a reason for that. Think about being a student veteran, right? All the obligations that I mentioned, work, family, school, et cetera. 
there's a sweet spot that exists right after the holiday break uh, for a student and right before the spring semester begins. And that like golden window winds up being the opportunity where the most student veterans can attend because these are serious students, y'all. Like if, if we hosted it like right smack dab in the middle of the semester, they're like, I got a lot of shit to do. Like I can't, I'm sorry, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say. Yeah, you're fine. You're good. Okay, great, great, great. <laughs> so all, all that notwithstanding, <laughs> Fair. I'm a recovering sailor, so I apologize for my mouth. Um, but the the notion, though, is that when we started to look at 2021, um, you know, it, it 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 became overwhelming that like it's just no matter how much we would have tried to do an in person event, we were going to have to go virtual. And the benefit of our population is that one, there a lot of them are digital natives, so they have that ability to sort of be virtual. Second, they're going to school virtually a lot of them right now, so there's a familiarity with it already. Uh, so we made the we made the decision to shift to virtual, and as a result, we started to understand that we had to find a new sweet spot because college campuses all over the country uh, this spring. Some of them are starting two weeks early in an effort to like uh, minimize uh, the, the need if they do come back to campus on purpose that people would have to leave at like spring break time or otherwise. So the academic calendar nationwide is changing. So listening to our chapters, we found a new sweet spot that's February 19th and 20th. Um, when we look at it, the digital platform allows us to try to make this the most you know inclusive uh, SVA NatCon that we've ever done much like at the chapter level where more and more student veterans are being able to be involved because things are, are virtual. Um, same with the national conference. And just like the American Legion convention, you know, you got to travel to it. Uh, we tend to go East coast, West coast central and rotate it that way. So that like at least every third NatCon, you as a, as a chapter leader attending SVA's NatCon could drive. Um, but very often it's flights, it's hotels, it's coming out of pocket for meals. And though we do actually, uh, one of the only things we ever charge for at SVA is a registration fee for the national conference. Um, we, we charge a very low registration fee and then we uh, back actually are able to sort of subsidize uh, the overall cost of the event through amazing uh, corporate and philanthropic sponsorship uh, to kind of make the, the whole thing happen. So for us at headquarters, it's a, it's a break-even event. All that notwithstanding, uh, we were anticipating 3,000 in-person attendees uh, for NatCon uh, when it was gonna be in person. Um, right now, we are anticipating over 7,000 virtually. And so uh, it's really sort of opened it up. And we've worked with all of our corporate partners this year that even though there's a $99 registration fee for students to attend the national conference, um, we've got a whole boatload of corporate partners who are lined up to pay that registration fee for every student veteran that wants to be able to attend their national conference. So um, make it hard for me, student veterans, right? Like if you <laughs> want to keep coming to your conference, I'll find more people to make sure that we can uh, we can make sure you have that opportunity. But some of the fun things that we're going to be doing are, are focusing on some of the most salient issues for veterans in post-secondary education right now. Living virtually, racial justice are at the top of the list. Student veterans tell us that are important to be focused on right now. Uh, but then it's also through our breakout sessions, um, we're going to have uh, just over 40 breakout sessions in a normal year in person we have 120 breakout sessions, but we don't want to Zoom overload everybody. And then we're going to be leveraging a, a great digital platform that's allowing us to do some fun things with augmented reality and do some real create, uh, creative ways to engage. And then if student veterans are able to uh, register for the national conference, uh, before the uh, deadline in February, uh, they'll actually receive a supply drop of all kinds of goodies and fun stuff to be geared out with SVA things, but then also just some fun, and I want to keep some surprises, but ways to, uh, to, to feel together, even though we'll all be sort of attending the conference from home. Um, and then the last thing is to, I mean, you know, all, all the same slot of, uh, of, you know, government speakers will have a new administration at that point too. So, um, you know, uh, figuring out all of that, is is a is an interesting time to be figuring it I'm out right now. I'm excited to see your yeah. lineup. Last year had Simon Sinek. I mean, in the past you've had Deshauna Barber, who's now ironically, you know, the the CEO of Swan Service Women's Action she Network. Sure is. She's a treat. She just celebrated her 31st birthday in what? the most Deshauna way ever. By the way, <sighs> go to her extra. Instagram if you her. haven't seen it. She's like my spirit animal. Love Deshauna. Oh. But yes, I'm I'm very excited. Do you have any any teasers for for any? My teasers you are share? you're not. You're not going to want to miss it, Ashley. Uh, so uh, you're not going to want to miss it. That begs the question if uh, I I missed uh, SVA when, when I was in college, but if I march my butt down to LA, LA City College, can I join? 
Hell yeah, you can. And yeah. go to this conference? Absolutely. I'm going to go take Absolutely. a, I'm gonna go take a something class. You guys, org. Hit student I'm going to let Mark and Ashley decide what I'm going to take. Yeah, the SVA oh, conference yeah. is a heck of a lot of fun. I've gone the last, I think, three years now. And mm-hmm. I, the only, my only argument with it is that it happens usually the first week of playoffs in the NFL. Uh, so last year, I specifically remember uh, Jared, our mutual friend, Ryan Pitts, and I sitting in my hotel room having a couple of adult beverages while we watched Brady get bounced. Uh, so that was a that was a down moment for us. But uh, other than that, Ryan Ryan is a diehard uh, New England all things New England fans and, and former student veteran himself uh, going to school in New Hampshire. When he, when one he one of the most Army, impressive right? student veterans I think of all time. And for those that don't, Ryan had he'd gone. I think he went to school for a little while and then he went and served and he came back and he graduated from University of New Hampshire with a four point plus and was the valedictorian and the keynote speaker and probably one of the w- most wonderful human beings on the planet. And I've had the, I've been lucky enough to know him for, I think, 10 years, maybe even more now. But he is a diehard Pats fan. And if you, if you ever charted us, uh, you know, texting each other, it's Sunday and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, it's Sunday. And <laughs> yeah, it's, it's usually him and I complaining about what's going on with the Pats. But um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. We're already over an hour here, so I don't want to drag it out too much. But you know, where do you see this trend going? Where where do you where where are we envisioning SVA going in the future? Now, you've been pretty good in terms of online stuff. There's been a lot of stuff online um, in past conferences as well. So, but where do you see it going from here? And before I throw it out to you, I did want to toss out one thing. Um, you were talking about the synergy between SVA chapters and the Legion. And my best moment last year was I went down to uh, the chapters at Auburn and Alabama. And what they were doing was they marched the football from last year from Alabama to Auburn University over Operation Iron Ruck. Uh, Iron Ruck. <laughs> And I had the pleasure of walking with them for part of the time. I wasn't able to go the whole time because my wife wouldn't let me go on Thanksgiving. Uh, but this year I was all gung-ho to go and march the 153 miles with them. And they walk all night and all day. They have three shifts. Most Those guys and girls in Auburn and Alabama, that's my ultimate shout-out. Those guys and girls are phenomenal. And what the Legion did in that case was the Legion state adjutant actually drove the truck that was the support truck with all the water, with all the food and everything else. So I see that as one way where the Legion and the chapters can work together. But aside from that, where do you see a relationship going forward, not just with the Legion, but what's your view of where SVA stands five years from now, 10 years from now? Yeah, I, I, I think it's a fair question. And so when we start looking at it, um, you know where SVA is five, ten years from now. I, I hope is 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 growing, and I, I want to define that growth a little bit. When you look at where veterans are attending uh, college nationwide, there's there's broadly an SVA chapter sort of already there, and so you know for me, growth doesn't necessarily look like more campuses. Growth for us is being able to go deep. Right. So like we're not looking to add breadth. We're looking to add depth to the organization. And when you really think about it, I mean, you know, follow the first 12 or 13 years of the American Legion. Right. From all the way, uh, you know, after World War One on. And, you know, the, the, the first 15, 20 years of any organization is trying to figure out who they are. I think the benefit that we have for Student Veterans of America is it's right in our name, right? Like we're here to empower student veterans to make the most inclusive college and university campuses uh, for every generation of veterans, period. That, that's what we're here to do. And so by going deep, what we have the opportunity to do is make real investments in our programs and services uh, for our chapter leaders. So just like you at the American Legion have uh, post commanders, we have, we have chapter leaders. Uh, you know, and, and the, the chapter officers that make up an SVA chapter are hardworking women and men um, who are on average taking 15 credit hours, working a job, uh, you know, raising a family and, and volunteering uh, more than 30 hours a week uh, to make sure that their campus has what it needs uh, for uh, the women and men that will come after them. 
Um, all that notwithstanding, we want to make sure that we support them the best that we can. So it's building out our regional conferences uh, to make them even bigger. Uh, we had a 237% increase in attendance in our regional uh, conferences this uh, summer, uh, basically. Um, sorry, not this summer. It's fall. It's usually in the summer. It was fall this year because of virtual. But the virtual opportunity gave us that engagement. And so it's leveraging the fact that there is a desire to want to keep serving after you take off the uniform. And there is this burning desire to make sure that college and university campuses are inclusive environments for those that have served their country. And so that, that's really where I think we're going over the next decade is the, the opportunity to add depth to the network. But then it's an added point because, uh, you know, for us, as I mentioned earlier, not lifetime members. So it's making sure that veterans know the opportunities to be affiliated with veteran organizations in their community. I mean, there's almost, what, 19 million veterans living in the United States and veterans that are affiliated with a veteran organization doesn't even hit 5 million total, right? So like getting the opportunities out to a new generation of warfighters when they come home and take off the uniform, that, that there are these great organizations and that they're, they're not the things that we heard about, you know, those smoky old uh, wood paneled bars. Yeah, maybe they still are those too, but they're also pillars of their community who are super involved and are super networked in and are there to, to support you when you get out. And then it's looking for that opportunity to wrangle our alumni a decade from now to come back and volunteer in SVA chapters and make sure that we find the Ashleys of the world who are great members of the Legion, who are Student Veterans of America alumni, and, and finding a way to kind of keep this darn thing going. So I think that's what the next 10 years looks like. And all of it wraps up to give America a better impression of who veterans are. Uh, veterans are leaders. Veterans are civic assets. Veterans are, you know, not these damaged and broken individuals. Uh, we're here to solve the complex problems that our society faces. We've done it before, as uh, whether we were volunteers or draftees, we've done it before, and uh, we'll do it when we take off our uniforms. And I'll just say this: watch out for the educated veteran. Uh, there is, uh, there is nothing that will stand in their way uh, to to succeed. All right, I think that closes it. We're probably decided here that we're renaming this the Tango Ashley Lima uh, program based on what I've heard here today. But Jared, couldn't appreciate you more. Uh, we appreciate you being here. We appreciate all you do. And uh, thank you for joining us. To everyone else, don't forget to like, rate the program, download. I don't, I don't know exactly what you're supposed to do because I'm not very technologically apt. But uh, yeah. Do all those things, and we do will see you the, next week. Do all that stuff. <laughs> Bye. All the stuffs. Take care, y'all. Thanks for having me.